Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to speak to you today a little bit about following God and what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I began uh, a message the other night, and I just want to recap a little bit on that to help you understand where I'm coming from. But we were talking about Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus, an amazing church doing amazing things with amazing leadership, Timothy and Apollos and amazing leaders. But the Lord spoke to them. He gave them this affirmation sandwich saying, you're doing all these good things, but I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. And he tells them, repent and do the works that you did at first or else I'll come and take your lampstand away. And then he, then he tells them, but I also appreciate and love that you hate the, work, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, bang, affirmation sandwich. Leadership skills 101, hallelujah. Yep. But you know, it's not a light thing for the Lord to rebuke them and to say, I, I, you need to repent or I'll take away your lampstand. And, um, and it's not about what they're doing. It's about their heart posture. It's about first love. And so I was, as I was studying this and looking into it, interestingly, I began to look in the book of Exodus, if you want to turn there with me, to a really fascinating story in Exodus 24. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Hallelujah. And it's an amazing story. You can read through Exodus 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. You'll see the, the, new, the, the, the covenant, the law being given, the Ten Commandments being given, and the coven, covenant being ratified. And then it says here, it's fascinating. Um, they've just had this most incredible encounter with God. The fear of the Lord has been so intense. In fact, the people have said, don't let God talk to us, Moses. You talk to him and we'll just do what he says. Because they were seeing the fire and the smoke, lightning and thunder, a trumpet blast from a heavenly being trumpeting this sound that just made them all tremble. They were told, don't let anything come near the mountain. It'll have to die if it comes near. It's a serious fear of God moment. Fire, smoke, Lightning, thunder, angelic trumpets, and, and an amazing encounter with God. But the fear of the Lord caused people to recognize we are terrified to approach. We are terrified of the holiness of God. But then, as the covenant is, um, is ratified and the sacrifices are made, it says here in verse 9 of chapter 24, Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, <clears throat> and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, so they saw his feet as well, under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. 
They were seeing the sea of glass. Can you imagine? And it wasn't an, an inner vision they were having. 70 of them at the same time were invited up to have dinner with God. And not only were they standing in amazement as they see God with his feet on a, on a sea of what looked like pure sapphire, yet looked like the sky, and there he is, and they are eating and drinking. I mean, that's one very amazing encounter. That's, that's not like, wow, I had a vision of God. That's, I actually, we all together, 70 of us, had dinner with God. That's amazing. And you think, this is the most amazing week ever. Lightning, thunder, trumpets, dinner with God. You would think these people would be forever changed. That they would never again fall away from him. That they would worship him with their whole hearts till the day that they died. Wouldn't you? I mean, as far as encounters go, it's up there. Whoa! But within 40 days, these very same elders had been part of going ahead and creating a golden calf because Moses had spent 40 days up on the mountain receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments. And within 40 days, they are They've created another God to worship after they have seen him with their own eyes. And I look at that and it's just incredulous. You think, how could this be? Surely an encounter like that would sustain you to follow God. Now, I think encounters with God are so important. Myself, I've had so many life changing encounters that have imprinted me, delivered me, set me free, completely changed my understanding of things. God wants us to have encounters with him on a regular basis. It's a glorious thing. I don't want to undermine in any way the value of encounter. But encounter alone, prophetic encounters, Amazing encounters seem to not be enough to sustain a lifestyle of following God. I mean, these people also saw miracles, major miracles, the Red Sea passing. Again, not an inner vision, not a bit of a sense of a miracle. This is the sea, and they are walking not through mud, on dry ground, and that same sea then swallowing up and drowning the entire Egyptian army. You think maybe a miracle could sustain you following Jesus. But they didn't just have the miracle of the Red Sea. They had fire and clouds. They had manna and quail. They had water out of a rock. Yet it didn't sustain them to follow God. 
Now, I've seen people, and I know many people, who have been radically saved as a result of a miracle. In, in fact, you know, the Bible says we're not to preach the word of God with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Miracles are God's idea. It's, the, it's God's way of evangelism. It's awesome. So miracles have great power in causing people to worship God, to realize he's real. God is into miracles. He is a miracle-working God. But miracles without, on their own, miracles alone, could motivate you, cause you to worship God, could bring you to conversion, could cause you to change your mind about things. But without something else, a miracle by itself doesn't have the power to sustain a lifetime of following God. The fear of the Lord, you'd think, well, the fear of God, surely that would be enough to keep you from sinning and falling away from God. And the fear of the Lord is something so powerful and so wonderful. And it's, and it's important. The fear of God bring, so often brings people to the point of conversion. It brings people to repentance. It's a powerful, powerful thing. But if fear is the only thing motivating you, then it appears it isn't powerful enough to keep people following God. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The fear of the Lord is an important and powerful thing. And I'm so grateful. And I believe we're gonna have more experiences with the awesome fear of God. We need to, we need to recognize sin has consequences. We, we need to realize he's a holy, awesome, glorious God. The fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. But alone, it doesn't seem to sustain followers. So I began to look and think, what does it look like? What does it take to be able to consistently walk in holiness and follow God. So we've been looking at the story of Peter and Peter's conversion with the miracle catch of fish. And Jesus, after having preached, comes in, uh, having preached from Peter's, Simon Peter's boat, then tells him to launch out into the deep and cast his nets. And Simon says, well, we've fished all night and there wasn't any fish. We didn't catch anything. And, but uh, because you say it, I'll do it. They've already washed their nets, yet they go again. And sure enough, there's more fish than they can contain. They have to call the other boat and both boats are sinking. And Peter cries out, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Because he has this response, the same response the Israelites had and on the mountain of Sinai, he recognizes, oh, you're holy, I'm sinful, and that, that's not a good mix, that's very dangerous, ah, oh, I'm afraid. And that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing, it's a healthy thing. But you see, it's very interesting, as Jesus then commissioned him and said, don't be afraid, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Come follow me. Peter followed him, 
He experienced him. He saw all the miracles. It was a beautiful, amazing experience getting to know the living God on earth. Amazing. Yet then Peter, when Jesus was taken captive and led away to be crucified, we know that Peter, even after having said, I'll never deny you, that same night denied the Lord three times. And he went away brokenhearted, so disappointed with himself. And we're gonna pick up the story, if you would, in the book of John. Hallelujah. We love John, the disciple who Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. I love that. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Hallelujah. So beautiful. Imagine writing like that. Who are you? Oh, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That's so awesome. I love it. The book, John. But we're looking at John 21, verse 15. John 21, verse 15. Actually, um, we'll go back a little bit so that we can pick up the story. And you can see that um, Peter, he says um, in verse three, I'm going fishing. So they said to him, we'll come with you. They went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any fish? They answered him, no, and he answered to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. I think this is so amazing. Peter was converted with a miracle catch of fish and then he was redeemed with a miracle catch of fish. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John, referring to himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, now that confuses me. How could he not have guessed that it was the Lord? This is the second time this has happened. <laughs> Having heard John, he goes, oh, you know what I think it is? Sometimes when we have become disillusioned, discouraged, full of guilt and shame, we don't even recognize the hand of the Lord. You know, we can get into a place where we have so given up and so given up on our ability to be able to follow him that we get discouraged and we give up and we think all hope's lost and we lose even the capacity to see what he is doing in the middle of it. But when John spoke to him, he said, it's the Lord. This also confuses me. He goes and puts on his outer garment and then dives into the water. You think, anyway, wants to be dressed for church. <laughs> and threw himself into the sea, but the other disciples came 
in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire directly la already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Remember, this is Peter who's denied Christ with swearing. I don't know him. And Jesus' response to him is like the response of the father to the prodigal son. It's not, hey, we need to have a talk. Let's talk about what you've done. Instead, he's overwhelming them with a magnificent catch of fish, preparing breakfast and saying, come and have breakfast with me. This is our God. We think, well, Surely, God, you should be angry and cranky, yet no, he's there lavishing his love because he knows it's the goodness and kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Hallelujah. He said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to answer him, uh, ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, well, here it goes, here's the story. It's David Ridley's in the house. Hallelujah. Sorry, sorry, editing team, now you have to edit that out. I'm so excited to see you, I love you, David. Senior pastor of Glory City Church, Darwin, hallelujah. We love you. I'm not sorry. I'm so happy I saw you. <laughs> so when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, and we think surely this is where it's going to come. Jesus is going to have the talk to talk about what he's done wrong. Yet he doesn't do that. He says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But basically, when you look at the Greek, what he's saying is, I don't love you as much as I thought I did or as much as I should or as much as I want to. And then Jesus says to him, tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then he goes on and he talks to him and he says these words. He says, follow me, which shows us that Peter had walked away, he'd gone back to fishing. He'd allowed the sin that he'd done to make him believe he was disqualified to be a follower of Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, not do you repent, do you acknowledge how terrible you've been, do you acknowledge how bad you've been. Jesus doesn't say any of this and the conversation hasn't happened, it's bizarre. 
Instead, Jesus is giving Peter an upgrade. Instead of just making him a fisher of men, he's now saying, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, look after my sheep. Like, what? Aren't we missing the part where Peter falls at his feet and says, I'm terrible, God, have mercy. That's supposed to happen first, right? Not according to Jesus. Instead, he goes after Peter's heart and he says, do you love me? And Peter's saying, you know everything. You know that I love you. But you know, when God asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer or he needs to know. It's because you need to know. And he was trying to tell Peter, even though you don't feel like you love me as much as you should, or as much as you might have boasted about loving me, I want you to know that you love me, and you loving me is enough to qualify you to be a follower, to be as I am in this earth, hallelujah. And then we find Peter continues to follow Jesus right through to his very own cross where he, he, is, he dies the death of a martyr. So what sustained Peter? I mean, Peter didn't live without ever making another mistake or without ever sinning again, but he never stopped following Jesus from that point on. So what can we learn from that? We can learn from that that it's not a miracle alone. It's not fear alone. It's not an encounter alone. So all of those things are powerful. It's the revelation of first love. It's the revelation that deep down you actually love God. And God is wanting to say to those who have fallen away from him, who have stopped following him because they felt like it's just all too hard and I've messed up and it's just, I can't do it. He comes and he says, do you love me? And when you recognize in your heart, yes, I love you, but I don't love you as much as I should, he's saying, oh, I see a flame. Fan it into flame. Fan it into flame because that is what will sustain you. You see, our motivation for following him might have begun with a miracle, might have begun with an encounter, might have begun with the fear of the Lord and the fear of eternity. But I tell you, it will only continue if it is motivated by you loving him. And the best way to come back to the Lord when you have given up and you've walked away is to come back to, do I love you? Yes, I do. I don't love you as much as I should or as much as I want to, but I love you. And as I get aware of that, as I start to have a revelation, I love you, I, I love you, I actually do love you, then I can allow that revelation to grow. I can come back to the place of living from first love that goes, yes, well, this is why, I, this is why I'm disappointed with what I've done, but I thank you, God, you don't count sin against me. I thank you, Lord, you've forgiven me. As I acknowledge my sin, I thank you, Lord, I receive and I recognize you've already forgiven me. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you that I'm clean. 
Thank you, Lord, that I am motivated not by my theology, but I'm motivated by this truth that I love you. Help me to love you better. Help me to love you more. Help me to become more aware of the fact that you are the one that keeps the flame of love alive in my heart. I love because you first loved me. Help me, God. I've lost my way a little bit. I've lost it my way, and I don't even recognize your hand moving in my life anymore. But so this I can come back to. Yes, I, I love you. I love you. And it's the entryway back into following hard after Jesus. This is why the Lord rebukes the Ephesian church and says, you've forgotten your first love because he knows good works, good theology, good leadership, all of it being good is not enough to sustain them through the days ahead. What they would need for the days ahead was a revelation, I love you, I love you, I personally love you. And in that, that's where I'll come back to. That's where I'll start again. That's right, I love you, I love you. And as you begin to sing to him in your personal time, as you begin to minister to the Lord and say, and I love you like I really should, but I love you, and you've put this love in my heart, and I give you that love, God, I love you. You watch how quickly it bursts into a raging fire. He's amazing like that. You don't have to, to slowly come back. All you have to do is wake up and realize, actually, yep, when it's all stripped away, this is the truth. I've always loved you, I love you. I love you with the love that I had for you as a child. I love you, I love you, I love you. And when you can get real again with God and recognize that's in your heart for him, that's the place where the Lord will take you. He'll cause you to be one that will run with him and he will help you embrace the reality of his keeping power. I wanna share this one verse with you as, um, as I close, it's in the book of Romans, the very last chapter, hallelujah. And I was just meditating on this myself this week and looking it up and enjoying it. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. He is able to establish you. He is able to keep you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He is able and he is wanting and willing to establish you continually, to keep you, to help you, to lead you, to guide you, to carry you, to surround you. But all it takes is for you to recognize, 
I love you. You love me. I thank you, Father. And I put myself in your hands knowing that it's none of my works that can qualify me. It's none of my works. And it's not, it's not what I know. It's not what I've done or what I haven't done that qualifies me to follow you. But this love that you've put in my heart for you, this is it. This is all that matters. Father, you are my life source. And Lord, I choose to come back to the first love. I choose to come back to the place of recognizing everything I do, God, I want it to be motivated out of a place of knowing that it's done because I love you. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, I believe the heart of the Father all over the earth is releasing fresh revelation of the reality of his great love for us and of the reality that when Christ has come into your life, when you've looked to him and you've repented of your sin and you've received the mercy of Christ, he comes and he lives on the inside of you. And if you felt like you've been, you've been walk, you've walked away from him like Peter did, if you feel like you've, you've gone too far and you've messed up and you've, you're, you've lost your way, the Father's asking you the same question. Do you love me? It's not a condemning question. It's a revelation for you to remember. Yes, I do. But I've messed up. I've messed up. And he goes, do you love me? That's what matters to me. That's what's important to me. Do you love me? Because if you love me, we can start again. If you love me, we can start again. If you love me, that's the place from which everything is established. I can establish you. I can take you. In fact, I will upgrade you. And everything that I have, I give to you. Everything that I, I have and am and do now as I am, so are you in this earth. It's so astonishing. In fact, the relationship that Jesus had with the Father now is yours. Not only is the power to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, open the blind eyes and open the deaf ears, not only has he given us that power freely, he's given us the power to same, have the same love relationship that he had with the Father. Wow. And if you come back to and you begin with, I love you, doesn't feel like very much love, but it is there, I do love you. He's, he's there to remind you the same love relationship that I had with the Father when I was on the earth is now in you. And Jesus went to the Father to receive all the strength, all the hope, all his, his every emotional, spiritual, physical need was met in this communion of love with the Father. Who would like to have a relationship with the Father like Jesus had when he walked the earth? Well, as he is, so are you in the earth. It's yours. You have the faith of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the anointing and the power of Christ. And you have the love of Christ shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And it's the same love with which he loved the Father. So if you think I don't have enough love, he says, you've just forgotten. 
I want you to remember, do you love me? Doesn't seem like enough, God. It's there. It's the same love. It's the same love that I had for the Father. It's the same love that the Father has for me. It's in you. Can you see it? That is your motivation. Here's the final scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. It's his love that will keep you going. The fear of the Lord, miracles, encounters, they're all wonderful part of the Christian life, but it is the love of Christ that will constrain you, that will keep you from wanting to sin against him, that will keep you following after him when things look difficult. It's the love, it's the love that he's put in your heart that will sustain you, amen? amen. Father, we say thank you for your word. Lord, you are so faithful. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes, but before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity today. Jesus is still saying, follow me. He's still reaching out his hands. He's not, he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but the, the world through him would be saved. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to reach out his hand and say, here I am, I'm your savior. And if you'll come to him and recognize, oh God, though I'm a sinner, I don't have to say, get away from me. I can come to you and say, I'm a sinner, here's my sin, and I receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of righteousness, the gift of eternal life. I can have no part in earning it, but you have come to give me life. That Jesus paid the ultimate price so you and I wouldn't have to pay the price of our sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Eternal death in hell. But Jesus came, he died, and he went to hell so that if you would receive him as your rescuer, as your savior, you won't have to. But it requires a heart response that says, yes, Lord, I wanna receive that mercy. I wanna receive that grace. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Rescue me, save me, Lord. I want you to be my Savior. It takes humility because pride would say, no, I, I'm right, no worries, I'm okay. But a revelation that you need a Savior is the starting point. And as you come and say, I need a Savior and I believe Jesus, you are the Son of God, that you paid the price for my sin and as you receive him as your Savior, He'll come in and he will fill your heart with his love for you. If you're here tonight and you know in your heart you are not following Jesus and you say, yes, I wanna get my life right with God. I wanna become a follower. I wanna turn to him and I wanna receive him as my savior. I wanna pray for you tonight. If you just wave your hand at me, I wanna just give you the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I want to receive Jesus as Savior. Thank you for joining us. 
If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.